0: How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman.
1: Welcome to this edition of the 2020s Enterprise. And today's co- topic is cybersecurity. And uh, for those of you that uh, are thinking that this is only for large organizations, we're going to actually be talking about cybersecurity from large organizations, small businesses, and you and I, because it really affects all of us. And there's all sorts of things that are going on that uh, we're going to suggest uh, is going to be pretty relevant to all of us. Starting this afternoon and, of course, going on for probably the next decade. It's going to be a little bit of an issue for all of us for decades. <laughs> i say a little bit. I'm trying to be a little bit funny here because I do think that this whole thing is going to get worse. And in my uh, little brief on this particular topic, cybersecurity, uh, I said in the intro uh, on the uh, website, uh, it says, are you wrapping your automobile key fob in aluminum foil? And I said rhetorically, "Sam, of course not, I'm not paranoid. Well, if you think about something like that, and most of you that you have if you have a generally new car, let's say in the past five years, you've got this wonderful device, this thing that sits in your pocket, and as you approach your car, of course, uh the car door opens, you can push a little button on your dash panel, and then the car starts. Just think about that for a moment and think about." What you're doing, you're transmitting an electronic signal. If you can transmit that electronic signal to your car, that means that somebody else may be able to capture it also. And this is what we've got to start thinking about. Now, why do I say uh, wrapping your uh, automobile key fob in aluminum foil? It's because that is a computer that you've got in your pocket. Actually, a mini, 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 mini computer with lots of information on it. And so we have to essentially start thinking about not paranoia, but the technology and the unintended consequences of the technology that's out there. This is really what this is about. So, again, whether you're a business organization, a technology professional, or you and I as innocent citizens walking around, um, we've got to think about these things. Do you need or know about cyber insurance? Yes, there's something now called cyber insurance. That should give you an indication uh, that uh, the evildoers are, are, are out there. Now, I'm not big on big government. If any of you know me pretty well, you know that that's not me. I'm not big on insurance. I'm just mentioning that there is an industry out there now that is recognized. There are some issues uh, you know, that are out there. What are your rights if your personal information is released by a third party? Think about, you know, uh, you're sitting there innocently. And all of a sudden, you know, your bank account, or your password, or your target uh, card is, is is breached. You didn't do anything wrong, yet you're the one that has to clean up the mess essentially that's there. Why? Why is that? Just as a note, uh, in uh, in my uh, office that I'm doing my broadcast from, uh, we did not have electrical power for five days, and <laughs> this was a huge issue. As I was preparing for this broadcast, uh, uh, I was wondering whether or not I'd have to go to another studio because because of that. And um, I found out that uh, for the lack of not having electrical power for five days, I'm entitled to $25, not a day or an hour, but for that total time, if I fill out this three-page form, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't decide to put the electrical lines above ground near trees. That was the utility company to save money. So think about those types of things. You're innocently using your credit card. You're innocently using your bank account. You're innocently using social security numbers, your social media and things like that. And there is some kind of a breach, a hack going on. And you and I have to clean up the mess. It doesn't make any sense. Do we need an agency? I, again, I'm not big on on government here at all and, and standing in more that investigates independently these issues. What about facial recognition? How do you feel about that? Um, I do have uh, uh, a couple of computers here that use uh, facial recognition, and on the iPhone it uses facial recognition. Uh, Not sure. By the way, both of those can be breached. I've shown it to other people. They looked at me, and they were shocked. Um, even with 3d scanning, uh, it's a little bit more difficult, but a lot of these aren't that sophisticated that's there. What about supply in your supply chain? You've got eight, 10, 15 companies. If you work in an organization that are all part of your supply chain for whatever is being supplied to your organization, any way along the path there, if there is an issue when it comes to technology or cyber or software, any of those, if they're not 100% in alignment, is going to cause an issue. So these are just the things, just a few things that we're going to be uh, talking about um, uh, every day. And we r- surround ourselves with all sorts of devices. It's wonderful. It really is great to look down at your wrist or, and, or your pocket and see where you're supposed to be or essentially where where you're going, whether it's a GPS and whether you're using an Android device or an Apple device or a or third-party, whatever whatever it is. These devices do a lot of good, but it also, we have to pause for a moment, also realize that the number of vulnerabilities that you and I have nowadays is geometrically increased in comparison to what it was just a decade ago. I joke with people, the most secure form of communication, excuse my chuckling here, is putting a stamp on an envelope and putting it in the mail. That's the most secure form that we have. Wow. You have cars. You have smart TVs. They're all, quote, listening to us. What do I mean by listening? They sort of know what's going on. When you have voice commands or something like that, even if you push a remote and say, I want to go to channel 238, and it's a, quote, smart TV, That word smart essentially generally means there's some computer in there that is storing information. So every camera and every tablet and every laptop is also a potential spying device. I want to stress again, I'm not trying to make everybody paranoid, but we do have to open up our eyes that the technology is going faster than our ability to understand what the effects of those things are. Even if we're alone, miles from the nearest human being, people know where we're at. Sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's not. And that's what we have to realize. What about this example? I do a lot of travel for the consulting work that we do for architecture and strategy and things like that. And I have rental cars. And I, when I say one day, I just sort of woke up and said, wait a minute. I just paired my phone to this rental car, which is very an in- innocent thing. It's kind of neat because you can sort of you know see what's going on on the on a little panel that's in the uh, automobile, but it just dawned on me: I better wipe that out before I give the rental car back because it has a significant amount of information on it. I don't know exactly how much it has, but it knows a, a lot about you. And of course, if you're selling your car or giving it to somebody else, you have got to think about the same thing. There's contact information, there's preference information, there's navigation data. People know where you've been and where you you know, where you've been, where your common areas are. All that information is sitting there. Again, I want to stress, and you'll hear this throughout our broadcast. I'm not trying to suggest everyone get par- you know get paranoia all of a sudden. It's just realization that we got to be a little bit more careful nowadays, um, you know, than before. Now, some of this data should be obvious, but sometimes it's not. How about putting your garage door code into your vehicle? Good idea. Fantastic. It's usually on the sun visor or the mirror. Typically, push a little button that's there. Please remember, it is transmitting data to somebody. And that somebody is your car. The question is, who built the software? How was it built? And what security understanding was there? And this is the underlying issue in this particular broadcast. All of this cyber issue in general, comes down to two things. One is horribly poor software practices. And in a previous broadcast, I've discussed that in in, uh, quite a bit. We are in maturity level one of building software. It is antiquated. It's like buggy whips that are out there. It is a very, very old way of doing things. Maturity level one is what we refer to that's out there. Virtually every organization is there. And that's what the criminals are latching onto. We call them vulnerabilities. We call them tweaks that need to be done in software. There's all sorts of cute little names there. It's bad software. Just bad, bad, bad software. Let me say it again. Bad software. But the other thing is our practices. We're a little sloppy. And I'm going to include myself in that. And when it comes to passwords, when it comes to things, he's trying to, you know, be a little bit more convenient because there's all these issues that are out there. But I want to stress again, the underlying issue is something that we have to get people to recognize. It is what? Bad software. That's underlying this. And there's a lot of cutesy names for it. And the newest cutesy name you hear out there is, well, we have these vulnerabilities we've discovered. Replace the vulnerability by bad software was built and now we have to fix it again that's out there and in our homes we've got some great devices that probably most if not all of you had whether it's a nice doorbell that uh, has a camera in it or whether it's the uh, home listening device that i call it whether it's alexa siri or google home or whatever you're looking at wonderful things on the other hand what's underneath that where is that stuff going Where is that stuff going? And this is what we have to think about, uh, you know, that's there. So when it comes to these devices, I'm not suggesting we turn them off. I just want people to recognize that it's a little bit different now than it was 20 years ago. I'm not talking about 50 or 100 years ago, but 20 years ago, because all of these interconnectivities are going on. And we're not really sure how all of this stuff actually fits together and that's because of course we do not have an architecture we've just got a bunch of implementations we've got this attached to this and this attached to this and we call it internet of things or connected devices or connected universes or connected this and connected that but there's no overall architecture that says if i change this what is possibly the effect of that change Architecture is the baseline for addressing and managing change. Once again, architecture is the baseline for addressing and managing change. If we do not have that, we have essentially go for it and see what happens. It's not a nice phrase, but it's, that's the way things are. And the issue is geometric. When I say geometric, think about this for a moment. If you have two things and you want to connect them, you have a path from A to B, and then B to A. Now let's add a third item, item C. Now we have a path possible from A to B, A to C, B to C, C to A, and you can see it's a geometric increase in complexity. Four things connected together, we have 24 possible paths, and you can watch that number go up very, very quickly as you see it there. So, in summary, in our, in our first discussion here, what we're realizing is that the tremendous benefits we get from connectivity is being offset somewhat, if we think about it, by the added vulnerabilities that we have. And that's the concentration that I really want you to, to think about, the added vulnerabilities. Don't put yourself into a shell, but think about those vulnerabilities and some of the things that we can possibly do to essentially address these. So let's come back again to the personal world. Let's start off with something all of us use now. Very, very convenient. Automatic teller machines, wonderful stuff, wonderful stuff. First thing I would think about is when you walk up to an automatic teller machine, whose is it? Is it a bank that you know of? Or is it an off-brand or third-party? Now, I'm not bunching everybody up uh, into two classifications, good and bad. just want you to think about these types of things. If it's a non-bank branded ATM, how comfortable are you with that? You should think about this a little bit. I'm not saying don't use it, but think about this for a moment. There is no oversight. There's no oversight on these things that are there. Anybody virtually anybody, can essentially install an ATM machine. Of course, you have a PIN, a personal identification number. That's a very, very vital thing. You know how easy it is for somebody to put in a pinhole camera, essentially over your shoulder or on the area of keyboard, to capture that PIN information? It's incredibly easy nowadays that's It's there. What about accessing the ATM in a vestibule? I, I live in the Michigan area, and it gets cold in the wintertime, and a lot of people have put in these beautiful, beautiful like vestibules. They're essentially, a, you scan your card, and you go into this little room, if I can say that, and there's a couple of ATM machines there. The bank may not be open, but it's there for convenience. Think about scanning the door into that particular room room. What type of security is on there? It's very easy, essentially, to put in a grabbing device that grabs, essentially, that magnetic card or your electronic information that's right there. And, of course, what we all need to do in these vulnerabilities is to just track your transactions to see what is going on. Of course, that's an after-the-fact situation that we got to think about. But all of these conveniences that we have out there You can see the classification. Some are, I'll use the phrase, our fault, and we'll talk about passwords and things like that in in just a little while after our break. But some of the things we don't know about. We we don't see these things ahead of time because there is no, if I can say, control mechanism that's there. And so when it comes to these things, we just have to be a little bit careful to try to protect ourselves as much as we can, um, you know, that's there. Because the consequences of these actions fall on us. And we'll be chatting um, in our next segment about, do we need, again, I'm not very happy about big government, but do we need something like the National Transportation Safety Board for cyber, for electronics? And of course, we see what's going on with the uh, horrible situation with the Boeing 737 MAX situation where the National Transportation Safety Board is doing some uh, investigation of what is going on? Do we need something like that in the world of cyber technology and those types of things? It's a question that we'll be addressing uh, in our next segment. You're listening to Sam Holzman. This is the 2020s Enterprise. We're talking about cybersecurity. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Thank you.
0: Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. This is Sam Holzman,
1: and uh, in this episode we're chatting about cybersecurity. And it's not just for large organizations or small organizations. It's it's for you and I also and the things that are going on. And before the break, I was mentioning maybe we need something like the National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB, for the world of cybersecurity and things like that. I want to stress again for probably the fourth time in this broadcast, I'm not big on big government, but sometimes government does have or some organization does have. Uh, a requirement that you can see has to cut across political lines, organizational lines, government lines. And when it comes to this, maybe we need something like that. And just to show you the parallel, the NTSB, of course, investigates air crashes. And if you look historically over the past, let's say, 20 years, there has been an incredible drop, an incredible drop. And I'm thrilled that there's an incredible <laughs> drop in, in air, airline uh, Disasters because I do a tremendous amount of flying. And partially, it's due to essentially somebody looking and investigating. There is an ability to look at an accident and do a trace back, not to symptoms, but to causes that are out there. And, you know, years ago, air travel, you know, wasn't regulated at all. And the industry had some massive, massive, massive accidents that were out there. And for some of you that are into history, there was a high-profile crash that killed a a football coach, a legendary football coach, Newt Rockne, many years ago. And after that particular um, incident, a lawmaker set up the NTSB. I'm not saying that that was the cause and effect, but there was enough publicity at the point to say, wait a minute. What's going on here? And it's a cooperative organization. Now, air travel is one of the safest modes of transportation we have right now. Now, again, it's not only due to the NTSB, but the realization, two things. One, that somebody is watching, and there's a traceable path. Baseline for managing change, baseline for addressing change, architecture. So people are able to look at what happened and essentially reverse engineer the crash into potential solutions that are out there. And you can't reverse engineer something that wasn't engineered in the first place. So we see in the physical world examples of addressing some of these issues and tightening up essentially the the, the things that may be harmful to you and I that's out there. Now, until this Boeing 737 MAX crash, the two of them, from 2009 to April of 2018, There wasn't one single passenger that died from a crash involving a U.S. airliner. My goodness. Think about bringing that level of understanding to the world of hacking and cybersecurity out there. I believe it can be done. But there's some prerequisites. First, of course, is much, much better software practices that parallel the physical engineering community starting with a baseline for addressing and managing change. Once again, that's architecture that's there. So maybe we should look at, you know, history for a moment and establish some kind of a organization, a body that looks, maybe it's private sector, public sector, combinations of these things, that looks at each one of these issues that we're seeing in the world of hacking and cybersecurity and come up with a way to address this. I think it's time for that. Now, until that happens, there are these things that you may be aware of, especially for those of you that are in medium to large-sized organizations. And you can get this personally, too. Yep, we got a whole new industry called cyber insurance. <laughs> That's out there. And basically, it's a way to try to mitigate some of the cost and pain um, that you see when these things occur. And we've seen, if you've read some of the newspapers lately or watched television, some of the things that were going on that literally paralyze organizations, paralyze cities, paralyze you and I. And there's this whole debate on on how to address this. And basically, whether it's called ransomware, whether locking up your information or things like that, the insurance can cover some of it, but getting your, quote, reputation back – is very, very difficult. So this whole concept of insurance is a great idea, but it's sort of like, you know, after the fact, what do we do now? We have this situation where our information, you know, is, is already um, an issue, and now at least we have some money to try to address this. Now, one of the common things you and I can do is Passwords. And this is an interesting study, and there's been a lot of study about this. Again, excuse my chuckling, because I look at this and I say, you know, I do most of this myself, too. It's a bit of laziness that's out there. And it has to do essentially with attachment. Well, you know, uh, my, the password I used is, is my, my, dog, my two dogs' first names spelled backwards. I hope nobody's listening that I don't have two dogs and don't worry about that. (laughs) It's out there. You get attached to these things. Part of it is because it's easier. Now what we're doing is mentally configuring the concept of an, an electronic password with the key to your front door. It's massively different. Why is it different? In order for you to go into your front door with a key, you have to have a physical presence. Duh, as Homer Simpson says. But in the electronic cyber world, it's a whole different story. What the Internet has done is shrunk distance and time to virtually zero. So you can imagine, if you look at your front door analogy, your front door is everywhere. I don't even know what that would look like. I don't think we can do that. But in the cyber world, in the electronic world, in the technology world, the key is available, so to speak, to evildoers potentially getting into your front door from anywhere in the world. And that includes in your, on your street corner. So the whole thing is a little bit different. But if I ask you a rhetorical question, how many times have you changed your front door lock? The answer is probably zero. If I ask you this question, How many keys have you lost to your front door? You'll probably smile or gulp pretty hard and say, well, possibly once (laughs) or more. So we feel a little different vulnerability. But What we have to understand is that the cyber world, the technology world, the Internet world has a fundamental difference than the physical world. And that's that distance and time has been shrunk to zero. So the number of evildoers out there, you know, can be essentially a lot more. And this is what we have to think about. So when it comes to these things, we can do some things to uh, protect ourselves just a little bit. The most commonly cited strategies for creating a password is something that you know. know. It's a number, you know, that's out there. Okay. Second most common thing, family member or pet or famous person. Third, variation on your name, spell your name backwards, last name, first name, first name, last name, maybe your middle name, those types of things that are out there. This is a common one that is getting cyber professionals very concerned. Um, And it is essentially the site name followed by a number like your birthday. So AOL 612 or Google 612, something like that same type of vulnerabilities that are out there. Once some evildoer gets that information, then you're all set. I want to stress something here before we go forward. Some of you may be saying, Sam, I have nothing to protect. I, I don't have to worry about this stuff. You know, this is like nuts. I just need the convenience. Please remember what I'm trying to stress here. It's not the amount of money. Sometimes, of course, for some of us it is. It's the life altering situation that occurs if you've ever experienced one of these attacks. And it doesn't matter what your economic or social status is. Your life is turned upside down for days, weeks, months, and sometimes years until you get things back together again. People take mortgages out on your name. The least protected, it has nothing to do with how much money you have. Yes, sometimes people go after very wealthy people. But what a lot of the cyber criminals have found out is those people have posses that take care of their security for them. So it's easier to go after people like you and I. Because this is the most vulnerable situation there. Now, what do people say about, I just don't have time. You know, I just can't, I, I can't do this stuff that's there. Because it's say. you know what, this is good enough. Fascinating phrase, good enough. Good enough in whose judgment? that that password that you have there. And there's a lot of sites out there that really help you out, password managers and things like that, that suggest those. And if some of you have looked at some of these password managers, you sort of you sort of see, and it, it, it'll it choose a password for you. And if you look at the password, it almost looks like a set of randomly chosen letters and numbers and symbols. Well, there's a reason for that. Random numbers and symbols, the more you have, the more difficult it is to essentially figure out what's what's going down, going on there. Some people say, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing this until something happens because it's too much trouble to change, you know, right now. Or the other one is I I just don't like, I don't like change. So when it comes to passwords, we have to think about these types of things. And I do use a password manager and I do two things. One is um, the password manager that I use actually suggest to me some of the vulnerabilities that are out there. I've got many, 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 many sites that I use. And this piece of software that I bought to manage these passwords sort of did a scan of all the password and suggested, for example, you know, you're using the same password on 27 different sites. Uh, perhaps you should do something about that. Did I know that I had 27 different sites using the same password Yes. <laughs> Did that number hit me in the face when I saw it? Yes. Am I going to do something about it? Yes. Have I done something about it completely yet? No, but I'm going to. In other words, now I have a metric that says, here's my possible vulnerabilities you know, that are out there. And, of course, the other one that's going on there right now as far as cyber world is this concept of facial recognition. And, boy, again, we have a dual-edged sword here. Um, I love it. Uh, on my phone and and uh, I have a a computer from Microsoft the Surface that you know has a camera in it that that does facial recognition it's very 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 good it's very comfortable on the other side we're finding more and more controversy and I don't have the answer about who is looking at that information and and what is there and so we are in the middle essentially of this situation And some studies were done, and one of them was published in the Wall Street Journal just a while ago, about how do people feel about this facial recognition area. This really surprised a lot of folks here. Um, So questions were asked, well, how do you feel about facial recognition at a retail store? Over 50% of the respondents said, I don't like it. Now, just think about that. You're walking into some store that you don't own, that you're going to spend some money at. And we have to recognize if there's a high theft rate going on in that particular store or something else, you and I are paying for it. The merchant doesn't pay for it. It comes back to us in the cost of merchandise. And yet over 50% of the people said we shouldn't have facial recognition in in stores that's there. How about identities at airports? There's, of course, a whole big debate going on in the United States right now about what questions you can ask on on, uh, citizens' papers and things like that. And so how do you, uh, you know, identify essentially people at the airports? And so facial recognition there. Uh, One of the airlines that I use quite a bit is is Zelt Airlines. And uh, they have fingerprint and facial recognition to make it easier for you to get on the airplane or, you know, those types of things. Is that good or bad? I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying, well, as the phrase goes, it depends. We've got to think about it. Okay. How about in public arenas? I'm a big University of Michigan football fan. On Saturdays, there's 110,000 people in Ann Arbor in the stadium. You know, what if somebody's standing on a roof, some not evildoer, but good people scanning the 110,000 people looking for potential criminals or people that are evildoers? How do you feel about that? Well, don't know yet. What about in schools? Ways to get in the door that are out there. Okay? And basically, what happens with that information? Law enforcement. Should they have this information? Oh, well, we all know politicians? No. <laughs> but law enforcement? Interesting question. You know, we're not we're not really sure. You see how all of this situation is, is loose right now because it's new things that you and I are dealing with. Okay? And what about Personal privacy, once your face is scanned, so to speak, who's doing what with it and what's the purpose there? So all of this has to do with, again, the world of communication through the Internet that unfortunately was never engineered. It just evolved over time. There is no baseline for addressing and managing change. This is where we are right now in the world we're in. It's uncomfortable, and we have to recognize there are some things that you and I need to address until this gets better in a decade or so. And it's going to take a while before the industry recognizes that it's all broken. And blockchain isn't going to fix it, and multi-factor authentication isn't going to fix it, because the underlying software, the way this stuff was built, is the issue that was there. We just had the... Uh, 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission, and uh, there's been some fascinating numbers out there. Uh, I believe I have the numbers, right? I I may have this a little bit wrong, uh, and I apologize if I do have these numbers a little bit wrong, but I think they're pretty close. The software that was written to control the whole Apollo mission, this massively, massively complicated environment, was about 140,000 lines of computer code. I believe, again, I have the numbers right. Facebook and Google, Google, again, I may be off a little bit, 60 million lines of code. And what the heck are they doing? Bad software practices. Now, the Apollo people, the software developers there, had some massive constraints they were dealing with as far as what they could pack into those. Antiquated computers that we now see them, of course, the computers on the Apollo mission were less than what we have right now in our pockets and in our cell phones. But that caused the engineers to engineer the software, architect the software, because they had these limitations. The more software we write, the more vulnerabilities there are because of our antiquated approaches. So you can see why all of these approaches to technology are causing us issues and again the phrase that i'm using to encompass all of this is cybersecurity and within that cybersecurity world two areas one the software practices and the other are the vulnerabilities that you and i see because some of the things that we uh, we essentially do out there so in just a few minutes uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to go into our last segment talking about cybersecurity and what we're going to be talking about there essentially is just a little bit of an understanding of how much our audience knows about this and things that you should be aware of and sort of some of the things that we should look at and what the effect of of these types of things are uh, to you and I. Because some of these numbers are going to be quite startling. So you're listening to Sam Holzman, 2020's Enterprise. We're talking about cyber security. We'll see you back here in a few minutes and talk about Let's see how much you know about cybersecurity and give you some hints moving forward. See you back here in a few minutes. Thank you.
0: Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative, solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at E-A-C-O-E dot org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise.
1: Welcome back. Uh, I'm Sam Holtzman, and we're chatting in, in this particular episode of the 2020s Enterprise about cybersecurity and things like that and what you and I as citizens can do, and if some of you are small business owners or business owners or CEOs or chief information officers. Uh, Some of the things that uh, we need to think about and look at in in this new world of essentially the vulnerabilities that are out there. But if some of you think that this is a new topic, I'm going to take you back a few years. Anybody remember Julius Caesar? Yes, cyber has been an issue. Now, it wasn't called cyber in his days. But, you know, the Romans were essentially encrypting sensitive and personal messages Back during the Julius Caesar days, because as they were transmitting information through the various means, I think it wasn't an Internet that particular time. They had to figure out how to protect the information going from one person to another. And they had uh, had a simple cipher. It's C-I-P-H-E-R. They had a simple approach that they were using. They're essentially shifting letters of the alphabet uh, a certain number of places and then essentially at the other end, they were giving people that, if I can use the phrase that key, and says, if, if it's an E, it's actually a B. If it's an D, it's actually an A. So they shifted things over so they could decode the messages. So this activity of trying to protect information <laughs> hasn't occurred just recently, but has been around for a long time. But that should give us pause, that we've still yet... A way to f- figure out, not figured out a way to essentially protect all of us in different ways. And now, enabled by the internet, it seemed to become more, more common. So I just want to give you a little bit of a, a background to refresh your memory. And the reason for this is I'm going to guess that as I go through this list, every person listening to this broadcast has been involved, when I say involved, has some vulnerability in one or more of these. Let's start off in uh, you know 2003, and this is not to pick on any company. I want to make sure that this is clear. I'm not picking on any companies that are out there. I'm just giving you sort of a synopsis of what's going on. Back in uh, 2003, Target, Target Department Stores. And uh, the estimate at that time is there were 40 million, 40 million debit and credit card accounts that information may have been exposed to. 40 million. 2014, Sony, if you remember that. And the person that made that one famous was Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone. He said, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> as well as thousands of employees there, okay dating back decades information was compromised and the FBI blamed North Korea. I love when I hear this, well, it's their fault. Let me stress again, they were the effect of the cause and the cause again, I hope I'm not sounding like a broken record I may is bad software practices. Yes. Somebody essentially took advantage of that vulnerability, and it's easy to point fingers. Ah, you see, it's their fault. I love it when some people say, you know, there's a there's a pothole in the street. and Somebody puts a sign next to it and says pothole. <laughs> okay, that's really helpful. Thank you for giving me that information. Why don't you fix it? Well, that takes time and costs money. Office of Personnel Management. That one was a big one that people heard about in 2015. Uh, it goes back to 2014, actually. A personal data 21 million Social Security numbers that were exposed, you know, out there. Equifax, oh boy, I'm still feeling the effects of that. I know that I get messages all the time about uh, things that they're doing uh, to sort of help me out there. That's 2017. Now think about this. This is a company that monitors and holds all your credit information and 143 Million names, birthdates, addresses, social security numbers were compromised. Wait a minute. This is the company that's holding our information that got hacked? <laughs> By the way, if, you're gonna, if you want to get money and you want to rob something, you rob a bank because you know what's in a bank? Money. So if you want to get pe- people's personal information to do evil things, this is a great idea. Where are you going to go? Are going to go to my house or your house? No. You're going to go to Equifax. Or TRW or TransUnion, some of the other ones that are out there. they got all this information out there. Is anybody paying attention? Is anybody paying attention out there? No. Because the consequences are close to zero. Finding somebody a half a billion dollars. Just think about this last fine that the federal government put on Facebook. I have nothing against Facebook and Mr. Zuckerberg and everything else. What is it? Five or six B billion dollars. That's a pimple to those people. That's not doing anything. Don't do that again. So this is what we have to recognize because the upside potential to all of this is, is astounding. Yahoo 2017. Incredible. Um, This whole thing, 3 billion with a B 3 billion Yahoo user accounts, 3 billion Yahoo user accounts that were out there, compromised, usernames, passwords, and again, comes back to, well, passwords. Please remember the vulnerabilities using the same password across different accounts. People are get that information from you that's there. More recently, people say, well, Sam, you know, all those are old companies and you just don't get it. People know how to write stuff right now. We've got all these fancy techniques called agile programming and all these other things, by the way, which is complicating and making things even more vulnerable. Yes, more vulnerable. The more software we write, the smaller the pieces of software, the more interconnections there are, the more vulnerabilities. We're going in the wrong direction. I have science and years of understanding behind me in the physical world. We're making the same mistakes that we made in the physical world in the uh, electronic world that's there. Okay, get off your soapbox, Sam. Get on topic here. Uber. <laughs> new company. New software. 2017. Not an old legacy company that's out there. Reported this in November of 2017 from a 2016 attack. A year later, 57 million riders and drivers information was hacked and these people paid the hackers $100,000 in an effort to conceal the breach ransomware shame on them twice so it's not just old companies and legacy software and gray-haired programmers it's these young whippersnapper programmers too (laughs) This is a fundamental issue. And, of course, coming up to 2018, this last year, Facebook. They believe between July, believe, because we don't know, we don't know, we don't know when this stuff happens. There is no baseline for addressing and managing change. July 2017 to September of 2018, 30 million user accounts affected Again, new companies, new software practices, same issues. Are you seeing the pattern here, ladies and gentlemen? Software practices are the issue that's there. And then Marriott Starwoods. And I'm a big Marriott and Starwood user when I have the privilege of consulting with a lot of folks there. Just 2018. Now, here's the thing that scared me. Since 2014, let me stress again, since 2014 personal personal information was compromised for as many as 500 million guests and that was reported in 2018 4 years plus later people said hmm i wonder what's going on when we see these types of things that are out there so all of this affects all of us whether it's directly some of you may have, you know, experienced this and are unfortunately living through it right now, or indirectly through increased costs that are out there. Well, how much does this stuff cost? It can't be that much that's out there. Well, there are some interesting estimates. Uh, the White House estimates uh, estimate uh, estimated uh, since uh, essentially uh, 2016. This is a number that they published: 110 billion dollars cost the U.S. economy 110 billion dollars there's 350 million people in the U.S. divide that out ladies and gentlemen that's a lot of money being thrown away that's out there largest data uh, uh, breach excuse me largest data breach the past year not only Marriott British Airways Adidas, Humana. Again, this is affecting all of us. I'm sure some of you, if not all of you, are in one of those categories that's out there. What's the most common thing that we have to see out there? It's called essentially a phishing attack. And, and what, is, what is that? Essentially what that is, it's an email that looks legitimate but contains malicious links that are in the email that's there. And that's to trick people essentially to reveal their credentials, you know, that are out there. So instead of spe- – I'm, I'm just giving an example. I'm not saying this is what happened. Instead of spelling Marriott M-A-R-R-I-O-T-T, they spell it M-A-R-I-O-T-T or M-A-R-R-I-O-T. It just – you know, your, your brain just skips over it and it takes you to a site that looks legit but actually isn't that's out there. Okay. Now, this is what's fascinating. We are spending, we, the community, is spending on cybersecurity products and services $124 billion a year. $124 billion a year. People say, well, it must be doing some good. Well, if we don't fix the underlying issue, it's just going to keep going up. The underlying issue, once again, is antiquated software practices. How many locks are we going to put on the front door? I got it. We're going to put seven locks on the front door uh, that's out there. Oh, what well, about the lap back there? Well, nobody uses that as far as we know. That's, you know, that's out there. Okay. And the other thing we have to recognize is biometric data, facial scans, or fingerprints already are hackable. Let me repeat. The cyber community out there, the, the evildoers have already shown that voice recordings and fingerprints can be edited to be tricked into uh, tricking the detection software that's out there. Already, we see the vulnerabilities, you know, that that are out there. Okay. And there is some light at the end of the tunnel. People are getting a recognition that this is a big problem, which is fantastic. The first thing being essentially the recognition of the problem that's out there. And that's great. And we can look at Europe for a moment as a way to address some of this in Europe. They have this thing called the general data protection regulation, GDPR, and it requires vulnerabilities to be revealed within 72 hours of an attack. Not four years, but 72 hours with serious, serious, serious penalties that are out there. And what we have to recognize is that the energy sector, the healthcare sector, the manufacturing sector sector over the past two years, 90% of enterprises have experienced some kind of a cyber attack that's out there. So this is affecting all of us. So the concept that we're talking about here, again, is cybersecurity and things that we can do. There's two categories. One is you and I as citizens, as individuals, as members of our enterprise or businesses, we got we to be careful of doing silly things, having the same passwords all over the place, not looking for these various signs that are out there. Yes, we have to be very vigilant um, you know, that is going on. These are the things that you and I can do today to essentially help in this area to keep the dollars away from the evildoers that are out there. The second thing we have to start looking at, for those of you that do have technology organizations, we've got to start looking at software practices that are recognizing the vulnerabilities that are out there. And it has to do with the ways that we build software. And these. What we have to recognize is the software underlying all of this, whether it's security software, whether it's blockchain, whether it's cloud computing, all is built essentially on a very, very fragile quicksand base. Got to change those software practices that are out there. So on that happy note, sorry for this particular episode being a little bit of a downer, what we're trying to do here is to get people to recognize cybersecurity, cyber issues are all things that we are affected by. Got to take some action in two areas, one personal and one software practices. Thanks for listening. This issue of our 2020s enterprise was around cybersecurity. Please reach out to me if you have any questions at sam at eacoe.org, sam at eacoe.org. See you next time. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holtzman, again for another edition of our program. Next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then.